0: All right, today is going to be a little bit different, uh, a little more introspective. Uh, we've just finished a series on generosity, and now we're, you know, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you've probably been to a lot of services like this, where it's Christmas time, the church is decorated, it's lovely, right? It sets the tone, the ambiance, but there, I want you to look around. There's, there's people that are, aren't here that should be here. There's people that, when it comes to this type of, type of year, they avoid crowds. They avoid church because it's hard, because of a loss, because of things that have happened in their story. And uh, I want to enter into that moment this morning for a little bit. And that might not be where you are, but I want you to bear with me a little bit. Um, One of the things we like to do when it comes to Advent is we like to think critically. And I've done that the last few years where we've entered into the story of Jesus and the birth narratives and we look at those very critically to see what's going on. Um, and we look at that the history of the Advent story, and we like to then take a look at that and bring it back to our culture and look at our culture critically and consumerism and Black Friday and Cyber Monday tomorrow and all the other things that are going on and uh, in the world, um, both here in the U.S. and around the world. And for some of you, when I've gone into those that mode of being critical and we kind of exegete the history of the Advent story. You really love it. You're like, this is—I've never heard this before. I love it. This is great. More of that, please, because I've never learned that before. And then others of you are like, uh, less of the history lesson, please. I've—I went to school and I'm done with that. Um, <laughs> um, and you've like—and uh, some of you have come up to me even—and you're like, you ruined my Christmas because I thought it was all about this, and you said it was all about that. Nevertheless, I want to take this in a different direction a step in a different direction and it's not that we're not going to think critically Because we don't just come here to say a bunch of things that we all agree with right and just give ourselves a hug and go Yes, we agree with that. Yay. That's not what this is about Um, We're here to think critically, but we want to we want to be challenged We want to grow we want to hear what God has to say for us And it'll probably be probably be challenging. I would think because he's God (laughs) and we're not but What we want to do for Advent this year is we want to ask a question. If Jesus were celebrating his birthday, how would he invite us to celebrate it? How would he invite us to do that? Because that's what this Christmas thing is all about. Like all the hype in the stores and all the stuff on the TV and all the stuff that's flooding into your inbox about sales, 20% sales. And by the way, 20%, come on. Like, I don't even look at it until it's 50. But like, all that stuff, none of that, none of this would be here if it weren't for the Christmas story, right? If it weren't for Advent. We believe that Advent gives us a roadmap uh, for how to navigate the stuff that's in life. Advent has these four weeks uh, that Beth and my kids alluded to with the first candle that we lit this morning on the Advent wreath, the hope candle. The whole thing is designed for us to gear up the anticipation of the coming Christ child. Like, it's a big deal, but why is it a big deal? Why is it a big deal? These four weeks, I think they do produce for us a pretty good roadmap of the things Jesus would want us to point out for his birthday. Like, celebrate this. Celebrate these things. But why? The first week of Advent is always about hope. It's always what the theme is. It's about hope. But here's the deal. We all want hope, right? We want hope. We, we did that on purpose with the part where Beth handed the, put the microphone over to my daughter because her middle name is Hope. <laughs> and she got to say her name and she was pretty excited about it. But um, you can't really, you can't grasp hope. You can't wrap it up and put it in a present and put it under the tree, right? You can't do that. The deal is, is you can't really appreciate hope unless you're willing to connect with hopelessness. And that's part of this story, and it's part of our stories, this very human part of who we are. You can't really grasp hope if you're not willing to look at your own despair. Hope is kind of empty. Hope is kind of hollow on its own. It only means something because of our despair and because of our hopelessness. I now have hope because in the midst of this hopelessness, in the midst of something dark and bad and not good and uncomfortable, Something better happens and lifts us out of that. Jesus, right? So Advent always starts in this dark, hopeless place. It does. It is why when you come to a Christmas Eve service and they have the candlelight service and it's all dark, or it's why when you go to a Tenebre service around Easter and everything is silent and dark, when you light a candle... It's a big deal, that light in the darkness. And that's where the original Christmas story started. The original story about the birth of Jesus happens in the middle of what many scholars call the silent years. The people of God, the the nation of Israel, has not heard from God in centuries. You remember that one page in the middle of your Old Testament, New Testament, that blank page? Just write 400 on it, approximately, okay? 400 years of God not showing up or saying anything or speaking to them. The silent years refer to that, where God wasn't speaking to his people in the way that he had been before. So through the backstory is that throughout the Old Testament, God had given his people a job. He gave them a land and he gave them a job. And their job was to show off who God was. And he said, the way you're going to do that is you're going to bless all the other nations. You're going to be good to them. You're not going to treat them like they treat you. Specifically, he basically said, he kept it simple. Over and over again, he's like, I want you to look out for the orphan, the alien, and the widow. Over and over and over again. The orphan, the alien, and the widow. That's why he put his people right in the center of the world geographically at that time. All the nation states were trading right through where the Israel the nation of Israel was. He put them right there for a purpose. But then the story continues and they lose their plot. They lose their way. They don't bless the nations. They make other nations their slaves. And then God says, I'm sick of this. I told you to look out for the alien and the orphan and the widow, and you're not doing it. Instead of looking out for the needs of others and looking out for others, they started looking out for self. And it start, even more than that, they started building their, their own empire out of, out on the backs of others. So it's not that they just lost the plot of God's story. They started actually building an anti-story to the story God wanted to be about. That's what they started to do. And so God came and told them that this period of time, the silent years, He actually said, this silent time is going to happen because I want you to figure it out on your own. You think you can do it on your own already? Well, I'm just going to shut up. I'm going to let you do it on your own. I'm going to let you play God for a little while. You see how it goes. So that's what goes on. We're going to pick it up in Amos chapter 8. and I'm not going to put all of these on the screen. I'm just going to reference them for you. And you can write them in your notes and look at it later. But here's what it says in Amos chapter 8, starting in verse 4. Hear this. Amos was one of the prophets that was speaking to the nation of Israel. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying... When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. In other words, we want to cheat people and take it out on those who don't have anything so we can own them. Verse 11, Behold, the days are coming declares Lord God when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. So that's Amos saying, this time's going to happen because you have blatantly disobeyed God. He's going to let you, leave you to your own devices. And this was the period that people found themselves in. This is where the story picks up in Matthew and Luke when the infancy narratives of Jesus begin. It starts there. Where is God? Is he ever going to talk to us again? We are under the heel of our oppressors. We have been enslaved for a really long time. We are at the bottom of the totem pole, buried underneath the ground. When are you going to show up, God? It was my great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather who screwed this up. Why are you still punishing me? Right? And I'm still paying for it. And they found themselves in this season. And that is where the Christmas story begins. That is how Advent started. And all of a sudden, a star shows up. And there's rumors of a baby being born. That's what the Advent is, that season is every year. It's an invitation to connect with that type of moment where all is lost. I am desperate for something good to happen in my life. I don't know which way to go anymore. Is this all it will ever be? Those are the questions people are asking. And some of you, I'm sure, have had those kinds of seasons, some seasons of silent years Seasons of what we might call exile. There's even books that my wife and I have bought that are devotionals specifically for you're in a season of drought. There's one that's called streams in the desert because you're in a desert place. You know? Seasons of wilderness, seasons of despair. And sometimes those seasons, just for like, just the same way for the people that Amos was talking to, that he was speaking to, sometimes those seasons are seasons where you feel distant, disconnected. Disruptive, like God is silent. Anybody else ever feel like God is silent? It's okay to say that. Sometimes those periods in our lives come because of our own sin. Sometimes they, be, they come because of the sins of others. Sometimes it's our own disobedience. And we know it. We know it. We're like, how come God's not speaking to me? And you know you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. And sometimes we don't know. And sometimes sometimes we don't don't want to come to grips with the the fact that we kind of know why, but we just don't want to really define it. And sometimes it's not that way at all. Sometimes we find ourselves in silent periods and these times of disruption and silence because of somebody else. We find ourselves kind of caught like innocent bystanders. Something fresh on my mind after yesterday and last night with the violence that's in our news all the time these days. I mean... We basically keep a pack of candles at the church all the time so that we can open our chapel in these moments of darkness and light candles to bring light into the world and pray. All the time. We keep them on hand because of all this stuff going down every week. If you ever need to come pray, just let us know. We'll open the chapel for you. We'll be there with you. Sometimes it's with a family member who... This person keeps on making the same bad decision over and over and over again. And it's their decision to make, but it affects you. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Sometimes our time of despair is not our fault. And sometimes it's not anybody's fault. Sometimes it's just that four-letter word that we don't want to talk about. Life. It's just life. Sometimes that's just the way it is, folks. But what I love about the scriptures is that the scriptures, when it comes to these instances like this, they don't go away and hide. They don't budge. They don't, they don't dodge these questions. The scriptures are very, very good at creating a space for you and me to be very real and genuine and authentic with ourselves and with each other and express these dark corners and dark seasons of our life. There's a section in your Bible. It's right in the middle. If you just open your Bible, usually right to the middle, it's right in there. It's called Psalms. And it's very, very good for this if you, if you just spend some time there. Um, there have been times when I don't know what to pray. I, I'm, like, I'm at the end. And so what I'll do is I'll get out a piece of paper or a journal, and I'll flip open into the Psalms, and I'll just, oh, that one's not it, that one's not it, that one's it. I'm going to write this one down, and I'm going to write it again, and I'm going to write it again, because that has to be my words. Okay. There's a psalm for every range of emotions. There are psalms for praise. There are psalms for celebration. There are psalms for sadness, for mourning, for grief, for lament. Are you full of anger and you want vengeance on somebody? There's a psalm for that, right? Are you full of fear? There's a psalm for that. And here's what, part of what, like part one of today's sermon that I want to convey to you is, is simply this. You can pray the Psalms to express your feelings. You can, you can pray them to express your feelings when you don't have the words, when you don't know what else to say, when you think, if I really told you God <laughs> what I think, you can't handle it, just pray the Psalms. That is why they are there. Let's take a look at one. Psalm 83. I'm just going to read this to you. Oh God, do not remain silent. Do not turn a deaf ear. Do not stand aloof, O oh God. See how your enemies growl, how your foes rear their heads. With cunning, they conspire against your people. They plot against those you cherish. Come, they say, let us destroy them as a nation so that Israel's name is remembered no more. With one mind, they plot together. They form an alliance against you. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites of Moab and the Hagrites, Biblos, Amnon, and Amalek, Philistia, with the people of Tyre, Even Assyria has joined them to reinforce Lot's descendants. Do to them as you did to Midian, as you did to Sisera and Jabin at the river of Kishon, who perished at Endor, which is why Star Wars is really good, if you get the reference. It's in the Bible. Um, Who perished at Endor and became like dung on the ground. That's in your Bible. Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb, all their princes like Zeba and Zalmunna, who said, Let us take possession of the pasture lands of God. Make them like tumbleweed, my God, like chaff before the wind. As fire consumes the forest or a flame sets the mountains ablaze, so pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your storm. Cover their faces. With shame, Lord, so that you will seek your name. May they ever be ashamed and dismayed. May they perish in disgrace. Let them know you, whose name is the Lord, that you alone are the most high over all the earth. What if that was a worship song? Seriously. What what if that was a worship song? Those types of thoughts are part of our expressions and our feelings of who we are our anger and our fear and our pain. Spoiler alert, God is not remotely surprised that you have thoughts like this. He's not remotely surprised. It's not like you put words to these thoughts in your head and God's like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe you think that. He knows you think it. He knows you feel it. Christians use this phrase all the time that I hear it. Sometimes I'm like, okay, that's appropriate. A lot of times I'm like, shut up, seriously. But it's one of these phrases that we say a lot, nevertheless, and it's this. I'm just going to give that to God. You just need to give that to God. Give that to God. Part of the expression of feelings like that is the actual real life working out of that phrase. How do you give that to God? How do you give that to God? One of the things that we don't do well in our modern church culture is we don't create the kind of space well where we can actually give things to God. We've done it a few times here. We've had prayer nights. We've had prayer vigils. Uh, For St. Patrick's Day, we spent a lot of time with St. Patrick's Breastplate Prayer over in the chapel. We've done a few other things like that. We're going to do more of those because we need them. But we don't like to deal with these types of feelings. And whenever anybody ever creates a space like that, we feel awkward. So we're going to do that this morning. Because I'll make you feel awkward a little bit. Okay? Um, We come to church. Seriously, we come to church and we're like, praise, 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 praise. Sermon, praise, praise, praise. We want it to all feel good. All the songs are always happy. And there are whole groups of people in here. In here. And in churches everywhere that are working through a lot of grief and loss and frustration and you're coming to grips with your disobedience, because it takes years sometimes. Listen, I know, what it like, I know what it's like to come to church and sit in the same spot that I always sat in and be like, why am I here? Anybody else? Any takers? Yeah. Okay. Sometimes you sit there for whole seasons and you don't even know why you keep showing up. Why do we do this? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, you listen to the sermon, you're like, I don't buy it. Not feeling you. (laughs) My elders are looking at me right now like, where is he going with this? Yeah. No, they're not. They're going, yes, finally, somebody's saying what I know. You even come, you even come. Listen, there was a season where I lived in Mexico for six years with a Presbyterian pastor and his family. It was very difficult for me, way outside my comfort zone, okay? We would go to worship each week and sing songs in Spanish, and they were a church. I grew up in a tradition where we did communion every week. They did it like once a quarter, and it was fine. It was totally fine that way. But when I got out from doing worship in, like, basically what was like a garage for six months. I came home, and the church that I was going to, the church I grew up in, was uh, huge. Thousands of people. And this whole thing called worship and the songs, I was like, I can't do this. I cannot do this. Like, I don't know how to do this anymore. I have to be silent because I was dealing with stuff, right? I was dealing very deeply with some stuff. And that's where Advent begins. So what I'd like to do is create some space this morning. It's a little bit different. We have a song here. I'm going to play this song. I'm going to put the lyrics up on the screen. It's hard to get songs with lyrics that are pre-made, so you're going to see a little, what do you call, one of those little signs that you can scan and barcode thing. Just disregard that, and some of the lyrics have mistakes like somebody didn't transpose them correctly but listen and read the words and this is this is going to take a while so I want you to just settle in for a minute close your eyes, bring the lights down a little bit here can we bring the lights down a little bit Mark and we're going to listen to this for a minute it's not going to be enough to totally help create this space but just give it a moment were you wondering when it was going to be over Long, huh? Over six minutes long. We're not used to that. We're not even used to listening to a song till it ends. Like, that's too slow. Skip to the next one. And uh, to take time to sit in those spaces where we deal with the lack of God's voice that we want to hear in whatever way, shape, or form. Maybe that my hope for that was that that would just scratch the surface for you. That it would maybe you need to have a conversation with God this week about some stuff that that provoked, or maybe even with other people. There's just my fear is that in this holiday season we're just too busy to deal with the deep things in us that we actually need to deal with, and there are too many things to do on our to-do list we should just ask the question, what are we glossing over with all this stuff that we have going on? Um, Where is it that you actually need a baby in a manger to show up in your life? I know I need him to show up. My suspicion is that you do too. (laughs) Um... And that's where the the Christmas story began. People are crying out like that, where are you? In the silence, I'm, I'm trying to hear your voice. And it's not typically how we go about it. That tempo, that slow tempo, that's not the pace that we run with, right? It's not the pace of our lives. And I get concerned about that fast pace, about painting over all the things that the Advent story is trying to bring out and speak to us about. And I get it. Like, some of you are probably not in this space this morning. You're like, wow, (laughs) killjoy. You know, um, like, you're like, I'm not full of despair. Okay. But there's a whole group of people who are. And you know somebody who is. Maybe they haven't told you, but they are. And if we don't create these types of, if we don't take a minute, and, and if this isn't the appropriate time, I don't know what is. If we don't take a minute to just stop, and pause for a minute, and interact with God, and express our feelings through someone else's words, or the Psalms, or just saying, "Ugh, I'm so done with this, God, or whatever it is. Our God can handle it. We have to find a way to do that. But if this doesn't apply to you right now, that's okay. But I can almost guarantee you that it applies to a bunch of other people in the room and that somebody else you know is going through a hard place. And Advent starts here. Advent starts in a dark, lonely, silent place for the world that needs a savior to shed his light. If Jesus shows up for his birthday and wants to throw a party, he's not like, okay, everybody who life is working out for you, raise your hand. You all get to come to the party. No. He says, Hey, I'm here to celebrate my birthday. And I know a bunch of you are hopeless. And this party is for you. This party is for you. And you're first. And it's going to be hopeful. And that's what I love about where Advent starts. It doesn't start with all the people who have all their Christmas lights up already all over town, it starts with the people who are like, It's Christmas again. This sucks. And there's a lot of them. That's who Christmas is for. Amos, who we read before, that prophet, he's not the only one who speaks to this, and I'm not going to spend all day in the prophets. I just want to wrap up with this. There's another prophet that's just, if you read it, you're going to be like, what? Had no idea this was in the Bible. This is pretty psycho stuff. His name is Ezekiel how many of you have ever read Ezekiel and understood it <laughs> without reading a commentary? Yeah. So he writes this prophecy that is one of the hardest in your Bible to, to, to understand. Cause it's like, if you read it, uh, I've read it twice. Okay. And there's, there's like wheels in the sky. Okay. Are you tracking with me. Some of you are like, yes, I know that journey album. Yeah. Um, Wheels in the sky, and he sees the presence of God. Some of you knew that. The rest of you didn't. (laughs) I don't know why it's Journey, but I'm really on a Journey kick, because we just saw Frozen 2. Anybody else see Frozen 2 yet? Let me tell you about it. I'm just kidding. I won't spoil it for you. But all the songs are like from Chicago and Journey, like total ripoffs. But we did exactly what they wanted, and we're like, hey, kids, you should listen to some Journey and some Chicago. (laughs) Anyway... Ezekiel, that's his theme band, and he's like, there's wheels in the sky, and there's all this stuff floating around, and there's creatures with a bunch of faces, and there's a crystal ocean, and you're like, this guy is tripping, okay? The whole point, let me boil it down for you, the whole point of his prophecy and all these visions and things that he's having is that he has seen the presence of God, something that everyone is yearning for, he has seen the presence of God and it's glorious. Absolutely glorious. And He comes to Ezekiel, chapter 10. He says, I've seen the presence of God. And he says to Israel in chapter 10, your whole life is about to fall apart. It's going to be shattered. It's going to be shredded and ripped apart. You're going to be carted off into slavery to Babylon. But... I have seen the presence of God. I've seen it. I've seen it rise up out of the temple, and I've seen it head east. And you're like, why should we care? Why should we care, right? Because that's where the people of God are headed. They're getting carted off to the east, to a dark, lonely, silent place, And Ezekiel is one of these prophets that is alluding to Emmanuel, God with us. He's a Christmas prophet. 500 years before Jesus comes on the scene, and that whole story, the people of God are like, God's presence is in one place. It's in the temple, and it only stays there. And if our temple is destroyed and we are carted off to another country, we are no longer in God's presence and he will not be able to speak to us and there will be no help and there is no silver lining and it will never get better. And Ezekiel just says, he just kind of slips this in there and he says, God left the temple and he headed east with you. He went with you. He is claiming that in their darkest hour, God went with them. He never forsook them. He was never far away from them. And this would have, people, no wonder they didn't listen to him, because this flies in the face of everything that they ever understood about God. And so 500 years before Christmas, Ezekiel prophesies about Emmanuel. God is with you, and he will be with you, and he is going to show up. Now, I don't know how many of you have experienced some kind of desert place, some kind of Babylonian captivity in your life. My guess is that if you're my age or older, you've been through quite a few of those. A time of exile, maybe a a wilderness, if you will, two times or ten times or how many other times. Maybe you felt like your whole life was there. But the Advent story starts there, when you think there's nothing left for you, when you think it's all over. When there's no hope, you proclaim in that bare desert, wilderness place, for however long it is, Emmanuel. God is here. He is with us. He gives us hope. He is a light in the darkness. And Advent invites you to hang on to this hope, even in the darkest places in your life. To believe that God is at work in the darkest places in your life. If you need a little hope this morning, and I, I spoke with some of you earlier, and I know deeply that some of you do, this is what this Christmas thing is all about. And the message is this let me sum it all up God will never, ever leave your side. He will never, ever leave your side even in your darkest chapters. I want you to believe and hang on that hope because this is where Advent begins. This is what we celebrate today as we enter into this Advent season. In a minute, I'm going to invite you to come to this table and you're, I recommend that you come to the middle table if you can. Come down the center aisles and then return that way. When you get here, you take the bread that represents Jesus' body and you dip it into the juice wine you hold it, take it back to your seat, and then we will partake together. I want to read to you the very first words we have in the Bible about this. They're found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In the time frame of how your Bible is set up, these words from Paul actually come before what you read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are the earliest witness we have to the early traditions that the Christians had. And this is Paul saying, uh, this is what Jesus has done for you. May it give you hope. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Come when you're ready.